This episode is brought to you in collaboration with the 2020 Real Estate Forum, brought to you virtually by Informa Markets. Join the industry on the 2nd and 3rd December by registering at realestateforums.com after you listen to this episode to join Aaron and myself at the forum this year. Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatik. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast powered by First National. I am Adam Pawatik and co-host as always is Aaron Cameron. This episode is sponsored by Yard and we thank them for that. We're welcoming back Peter Altabelli for the fifth podcast appearance, I believe, fourth in our series of real estate forum coverage. Today, we are going to talk about the key takeaways from the Alberta Real Estate Forum that just happened. This is going to be particularly interesting given that Alberta has headwinds that the rest of the country just does not. Obviously, COVID is pretty universal, but Alberta has its own unique set of issues that it is working through. So welcome back to the podcast, Peter, to discuss this. Welcome, Peter. Thanks, Adam. Glad to be back. I'd like to say that you know Peter holds the record for most guest appearances, but it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm not sure that's fair because this is part of a series, but I think there'll be an asterisk. It's like any COVID championships in 2020. You are the champion for most of guest appearances, but there's a little asterisk beside it. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Thanks. You're making me feel good here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump right into it, guys. I think for those that are regular listeners, I think you know the pattern that we're going to do. So we're going to go backwards five to one of the sort of the top highlights from the Alberta Real Estate Forum. I don't know. We'll put this as number five, but I think it's top of mind for everybody. But that's the retail market. The panel discussion or the panel topic was the battered and bruised retail market. But we're actually going to identify that it's actually the not so battered and bruised retail market is really the top highlight. It was an interesting discussion amongst the panelists who really took exception to the title of battered and bruised retail because they all adamantly believe that it's really not as bad as I think some of the media and we like to believe. You know, Peter, I think you enjoyed that discussion. What did you take out of it? Yeah, I thought it got real feisty right out of the top of the discussion. The moderator, Eric Slater, presented the topic and the panelists got right into it right away and talking about this is not battered at all, almost to the point of it's the wrong title of the session. And all of their opinions and, you know, five separate companies, five separate developers and retail managers and owners of property were like, this is going well. It needs to change and it needs to evolve. But they were very bullish on retail and were very positive about where it is, but it's pivoting. And it needs to pivot like any other business needs to pivot and needs to grow and change like anything else. So I thought it was quite interesting in terms of all of their views. They were very much in line. You didn't get one of the panelists saying, well, I don't really agree. All of them agreed and we're moving forward with a consistent messaging across retail and where they see it going in the future. You know, Adam and I hold somewhat different positions. Let's talk about just our own personal experience with retail because that's the easy way to digest this. Adam, when was the last time you were in a retail store? Well, I mean, if people listen to this in the future, it's worth mentioning we're in COVID. So I did take a many-month break from going into stores. This would have been March until, I would say, end of August. I have recently gone to a couple of stores but I did successfully live off of e-commerce for many months. Is that the way you're going to 
behave going forward? Two years from now, will you still just, it'll be e-commerce, groceries delivered, everything online, no need to ever go to a mall, you know, avoid retail? No, but I would say that my trajectory for incorporating more e-commerce in my life was rapidly accelerated since March. And it's unlikely I'm going to backtrack on that. I personally despise being inside grocery stores. So I like this new life where everything gets delivered. It's, yeah, it's fast superior. Let me go first, Peter, then we'll end with your experience. But I'm the opposite. Like I like putting my kid in the grocery cart and literally wandering up and down the aisles. Like I will always be that guy. I end up spending way too much and buying things I don't need, but that's part of the fun. My wife likes going to malls. I go, I'll say this. I think that people will not just randomly go to a retail store just to meander to a mall if they've got no purpose whatsoever, right? Like they're not just going to necessarily wander around. It's probably more comfortable to sit on your couch with your laptop open and meander online to purchase things. And I'll lead you to this, Peter, but one of the really interesting comments that came out that I had not heard before was click to brick. And this concept that people are starting their shopping experience online, but still finishing it in the store. I kind of agree. And I don't know if it's an age issue, which is I'm not, I'm in a different stage in my life than say the two of you guys would be. And my kids are all grown up. I'm not putting kids into a buggy anymore, walking up and down the aisles at a grocery store. So I'm still very much think that retail is going to be fine. Again, it's going to have to evolve. I would agree with the panelists. I would agree that buying is very tactile, right? You could look online. You could take a look at it. I think that people are going to do way more research. They're going to look at what they want in advance. They're going to evolve in saying, it's in the evening. I'm thinking about something. I'm going to go online. I'm going to look it up. And if I like what I see, then I may go down to the store and buy it. Or I want to buy it online, but I want to be serviced by that same store. And I think that's where that whole clicks to bricks come in, where they're not going to get the same level of service over an e-commerce site that they may get when they're walking into a retail store. I still think it's tactile. I still think people want to be able to shop. How many suits are you going to buy online? I can't see myself buying any. I'm going to go into a men's store. I'm going to get fitted. I'm going to get serviced the way I want to be serviced. So when I leave that store, I know what I'm buying and I know that I'm getting value for what I'm buying and I've got the service that goes around with it. I just can't see that happening on an online. And I know I'm probably dating myself and aging myself, but I do think that there are fads and I do think that there are people in different stages of their life and some individuals can do it. They can go online, they can buy, they can receive in the mail or receive by courier and they're going to be just fine with whatever they purchase. And then there will be others that won't. And I think that's the evolution and the pivoting that retail needs to make. I think that retail needs to serve both. And they're going to have to decide how they want to do that to best serve their client. And it's going to be focused on the client, the people walking in that particular store. If I'm buying a bike for a child, it's one thing. But if I'm buying a bike for myself and I want to go spend thousands of dollars on a high-end bike, I don't think I'm doing that online. I'm going to walk into my bike store because I need the advice. It needs to be fitted and I need to know what I'm doing. I think what's the difference is, Peter, before you would have identified six different bike stores and you would have gone around and spent the entire day shopping the different bike stores. Now you do all that upfront research online. You know what you want. You know what store you're going to, but you're still going to that store to make the purchase, right? I would agree with you 100%. Well, Peter, you mentioned uh, the word pivot a couple of times there, and that was kind of the big takeaway from this panel. If you were to buy industrial apartments in the last couple of years and you're not the best operator, you probably still did okay at the end of it. But true in any business, the better 
operators are going to thrive and the poorer ones or not. Retail is having a moment of truth within that asset class. But if it wasn't e-commerce, it would have been something else that picked off the weaker operators if you're not being constantly buoyed by the external market helping you, as has been evident in apartments and industrial over the last couple of years. So I don't think that the idea that the weaker operators getting picked off is the end of the world. And I don't mean that in a harsh way, although it may come across as such. Yeah, but I think you're right. And I think they used like Sears as an example. Sears was a big retail operator in the other business. I think their comment was e-commerce didn't put Sears out of business. Sears put Sears out of business. They didn't evolve. They didn't change. They didn't pivot. They didn't do anything. They just stayed static. And static is not going to work in any kind of business. And so I think it was a good example of they're saying retail is in good shape. There are going to be those weaker players that are going to drop off and those that are going to survive. And those who are going to have better, stronger, and broader businesses in the retail sector. Let me take the last point, then let's move on to the next one. But I think part of the challenge we face in this world is, you know, the three-minute news cycle where everything's black and white, things get sensationalized. And so media, we're subject to it. You know, everything's got to be doom and gloom. And so retail is dead. And that's just not true. Okay, let's keep moving. Next topic, number four on our top five is the industrial market and just how dynamic the industrial market is in Alberta and just the continued growth opportunities that are there. What did you think about that panel, Peter? I thought it was another good panel. What I liked about this is the people that were speaking in the panel really knew their markets and really knew the area and knew it incredibly well. They were experts at that local market. There were a couple of takeaway comments that I had from that, which was industrial markets remain strong and they're going to continue to remain strong in the area. There was some caution around it, though. It wasn't just general. They were looking at different kinds of industrial space. So one of the big comments was building super flex space, but it had to be flexible in the sense of e-commerce space was different than service-type facilities, right? So a service-type facility, in most of the opinions of the speakers, was not going well, was not going to do well. I hadn't been doing well before the pandemic and is still not doing well today. But e-commerce space, if you did a build to suit, was still where you're going to see more activity than in the traditional industrial space. One of the comments was, would you pour a pad before you had a client? And you heard everyone stop for a moment and they kind of said, we're waiting. We're not going to pour our pad so quick. And same with energy. When I'm looking at an e-commerce, you need a lot more electricity being brought into the properties. You need a lot more parking space and trailer space being brought into the properties. And so it was really evolving to a area of build to suit the client's needs, as opposed to just building and try to filling, which is that service style. It was, they were optimistic, not necessarily as I would say you're seeing in say Toronto or Vancouver, optimistic but they felt that this was still a good asset class and that the asset class was moving forward with the exception of the service style industrial, that that is in fact struggling. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. I don't know, I'm sorry, my info is stale on uh, per square foot rents in the Alberta market, but they were in the 12, 13, 14 bucks. And correct me if you guys have more current data, but I believe that's where they are today, which is, again, for those that follow that, trend. I think there's still now 8, 9, 10, 11, depending on who you talk to in Toronto. So they're still, they've already had significant growth in their rent. So I don't know if there's necessarily that significant upside you're seeing in some other markets. However, and I can't remember who the guest was, but we've talked about this before. 
one of the interesting things about both the Calgary and Edmonton markets is that they're so well positioned for distribution to basically the entire West side of the country. There's legislation and rules around the number of hours a truck driver can spend in the car, in the truck driving per 24 hours. And that is the exact distance from Calgary to Vancouver and from Calgary to Winnipeg. So you can service both the Winnipeg and the Vancouver market if you've got your fulfillment center position in the middle of Alberta and Calgary and Edmonton. So that always will be an attribute for them and keep the demand high for national distribution centers. Well, not always. There is driverless trucks on the horizon, but that's a, oh, that's a topic for another, <laughs> another day. That's, you know, we're not going to get into the tech discussion today. <laughs> but it is funny, though, that I'd have to go back and re-listen to all of the forum highlights we've done. But I think at the highlight, Industrial is Strong has made it into our top five for every single one of the real estate forum reviews we've done. But in Alberta, is particularly poignant because the gap between office and industrial in other markets is not as severe as it would be in this market. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, additional headwinds. And so it is particularly poignant that industrial remains strong in a, in a province that's got a couple of problems going on right now. Yeah, I agree. I just thought they were optimistic about it, that they did identify a couple of problems and issues with it, and that the style of building is going to change in terms of the ceiling heights and what the new requirements are. But overall, I think that they felt this was an area of growth and stability within the market. So point number three on our list is the secondary markets in Alberta. And the point is that they're not seeing the same investment activity they did in years past and will continue to have weaker spots within the options outside of the two main markets in Alberta. Peter, what are your thoughts on this one? You know, it was another good session when they're talking about secondary markets. They're looking what's outside of the Calgary area, what's outside the Edmonton area. They talked a little bit about Gasoline Alley, what's happening there, and what are some of the attractions in those areas. But overall, they're seeing a lot less demand in need in secondary markets. But they did have some positive things to say about the markets in the sense of doing business in a secondary market versus, let's say, Calgary or Edmonton as the primary markets. They mentioned a number of them, and they said some of them are trying to attract businesses. They're doing that by making permitting easy to do and making it easier for the developers to get their projects launched quicker, faster, and less cost. They also talked about some positives around taxes and the reduced taxes to some of these secondary markets. So I think those are the, some of the positive highlights from secondary markets. In prior years, they were hotter. People were moving out there. There was great places to live. They felt that some of the secondary markets, a little bit closer, say, to Calgary or Edmonton, were a little bit more proactive on expanding residential real estate, which attracted people. So if you're building retail in that area, you have people that will come to your malls and that you need strong residential for the type of building that they were doing in the secondary markets. So as long as the, the municipalities were growing their residential sections and, and encouraging people to come out, that there was opportunity for the builders to look at the secondary markets moving forward. And those secondary markets weren't that far from primary markets. But a little bit less demand, I guess, since COVID has hit, a little bit more of a slowdown, were some of the takeaways I got from hearing that discussion. This is contradictory to point number two, but I'll explain that when we get there. But there's a little bit of COVID implications where you could kind of get a sense. Again, these were the panelists were 
managers and operators and developers in secondary and tertiary markets. So clearly they were looking for reasons to promote their business, of course. But there was a little bit of COVID implications in the sense that there's that belief that if COVID lasts for a longer period of time, people may be more willing to move to these smaller locations where it is cheaper to live, a better quality of life, less traffic, more community driven. And so there was a little bit of that. And I'll reiterate some of the stuff that Peter said. One of the ones that really stuck out because they gave us the numbers was the difference between Balzac to Calgary. The development charges are three times lower and the taxes are 58% lower. So, I mean, you just think about if you've got to weigh that with, of course, demand and supply factors, but clearly from a cost perspective solely, it's way more attractive to build in some of these smaller locations. And I think they're doing that proactively. The municipalities and their leadership are trying to attract that development by keeping the DCs down and making sure the taxes are at a lower level so it's attractive to any development. And it is probably worth mentioning that the market is bifurcated. One of the all-time favorite real estate words, you hear it on panels all the time. It is probably worth mentioning that the strengths we're highlighting do reside more in the satellite areas of Calgary and Edmonton, that they're feeding off of those economies. But as Aaron just highlighted, there's you know financial benefits. I think the true standalone markets that are a little more remote and trying to live off of the own gravity they create, uh, that the problems are deepened there as opposed to the satellite communities. Okay, let's move to point number two as we count down the top five highlights from the Alberta Real Estate Forum. So I mentioned this is a contradiction from point number three, where we were talking about secondary and tertiary markets. Point number two really is the focus on downtowns and how both Edmonton and Calgary have major developments, either just finishing as the case is in Edmonton with Rogers Place, the Ice District, versus Calgary and their investment that they've got in the new arena and downtown development. I'm not sure there's a name for it yet, or correct me if I'm wrong, but both cities are kind of putting it all on the line or placing their bets on the vibrancy of a downtown core. And that contradicts with the investment in secondary and tertiary markets. Of course, we're seeing across the country where COVID is having a negative impact on what's going on in the downtown core with everything being shut down. That's a short-term problem, I think. So of course, this is a long-term investment strategy. You know, I thought that the discussion between, it was Kate Thompson and Simon O'Brien was actually really interesting. Clearly, their municipalities, both Edmonton and Calgary, believe in a growth strategy for their downtown cores. Yeah, I'm a big believer of a strong downtown core brings a vibrant, strong city. And I think Edmonton and Calgary have done a great job doing that over the last number of years. I remember going back and forth to Edmonton for years, and the downtown core was very, very quiet, especially in the evening. And, you know, when you're staying in hotels in the core, and it's that quiet, it's not that attractive. But over the last number of years, you saw a huge change in Edmonton. And the same as in Calgary, you're seeing a big change. I think it's a great thing. And I think a lot of the panelists were really supporting of that strong downtown core and getting people to live in the core, which is so important. And it's funny that we talk about secondary and tertiary markets and the attraction on those markets and trying to get people out to the suburbs and to those smaller communities on one hand. But on the other hand, in this particular session, the panelists were really, really strong on ensuring the fact that the cities do the right things, that the developments in the cores, whether it be the Rogers Center or the Calgary Event Center, that these have to be successful projects to bring people in and keep people there living there. It brings money into the core all the time, and you get people spending that money in the core, which makes for a vibrant city. The move to suburbs, which you're seeing happen in Ontario, I think it is going to be, Aaron, like you said, it's just going to be a passing trend. 
I think the long-term planning is going to be strong, vibrant downtown cores. And I think you're going to see people come back to the cores because they like to live there. And there's lots for everyone to do. And I think Calgary and Edmonton are going to be no different than, say, Toronto and Vancouver as it relates to their cores because I think they're doing the right things. And the panelists were also very bullish on the projects that are going on and very much supportive of these projects and that the cities were headed in the right direction. Anecdotally, I was in Edmonton pre-COVID, but late in the year last year, at the last real estate forum in Edmonton, we were doing some social event and you know, you go and you're meeting and greeting and shaking hands and meeting people. I guess I had four or five different conversations with young mid-20s real estate professionals and they all live downtown and they all like living downtown Edmonton. They said, no, you can feel it. There's more stuff to do. There's more energy going on. There are more restaurants opening up. So that was pre-COVID. Of course, COVID has short-term implications, but clearly that's the long-term strategy based on at least in Edmonton from that anecdotal information, it's working. So Aaron, what you failed to mention is when we were at the Edmonton Forum last year, it was to record podcasts. And we did do a podcast with Michael Smith of One Properties to discuss specifically the ICE District development. And the interesting thing that he mentioned there that comes to mind is they were performing that project prior to the oil price decrease. And he mentioned, you know, this is August of 2019, we released that, and I think we recorded it a few months prior to that, that the rents on their residential component had finally climbed back to their pre-oil drop pricing. And so they're already used to these big swings. They're already used to surviving big downturns. I mean, it might be interesting to have Michael back on to see what it looks like now that it's headed into a second speed bump. But the city is very well equipped to handle these kinds of ups and downs. I think, Adam, that Alberta has seen all these markets swing up and down, right? It's the oil industry. It's up, it's down. And I think a lot of the real estate industry in that area know how to deal with it, know how to handle it, right? And I think that this is just one of those swings in the market for them. And I think that they'll be fine. I think they're going to do a great job and it will swing back. I think in our next topic, we're going to talk about diversification in the province, what the provincial government's trying to do to really change the look and feel of Alberta. But before we get there, it brought to mind a couple of comments that one of the panelists mentioned, which was, you need to create Instagram moments inside your city center. You need to create a reason why people should go. And I love that term, Instagram moments, because he's saying, if you can bring people into the core and they want to be there, they'll take the pictures, they'll post, it'll create its own attitude, it'll create its own atmosphere, it will have a different look and different feel based on social media and people's living experiences. And they even talked about bringing people in for tourism, giving people a reason to come. Alberta's got fantastic tours, but you're leaving the core cities to go see the rural areas, right? And it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. But give people a reason to stay, even for a day or two, and spend a day or two in the city. Bringing a vibrant tourist area into the city also brings for a vibrant downtown. And I, I liked how their comment was, it's more to just res commercial, but it's also that hoteling and bringing in the appropriate tourism into the downtown court. And Peter, I think it was Kate that was saying it. She finished that string of conversation off by saying the whole theory is activating your streets which is exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I like that sort yeah. of that sound. It was great. Like. Okay, number one. Yeah, Peter already uh, teased it a little bit to get people excited for the number one. <laughs> but it is worth doing a drum roll for number one. The number one 
highlight or takeaway from the conference was the need for Alberta to reposition itself and how they're going to do it. This speaker was the Honorable Doug Schweitzer, Minister of Jobs, Economy and Innovation, Government of Alberta. And in my opinion, he was one of the best speakers of the day. Not what you'd normally expect from a government speaker. It was very engaging. Did you just call you know, I, politicians boring? Pretty sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that makes up a big component of our listenership, so I'm okay. Let's just leave that in. Anyway, Peter, what did you, you know, think? You, you know, guys, I thought he would. He did a great job. He was engaging. When I was watching him speak, he very seldom had notes. He wasn't looking down at predetermined text. He knew the content. He knew the delivery. He knew where he wanted to go, and he knew how to get there. And as a minister who's engaged that much, they're not just reading from text that's provided to them, right? And they need to do all the sound bites. They need to hit all the right salient points so they get picked up in some sort of media. This guy knew his stuff. He knew where he wanted to go. I was encouraged by him right off the top saying, this is fantastic. You know, they know where they want. But the points and what he's trying to do is saying, it's not as bad as everyone wants to look to be. 65% of the people have gotten their jobs back since COVID started. 7,400 businesses are back. More than 400 businesses have opened since the pandemic shut down. These are provincial statistics, right? These are not just city stats. So he's talking across the province. So to me, it was insightful to see this. The glass is always half full. You've got to look at the doors that are opening, not the doors that are closing. But there is a need for the province to relook at itself and move away from just oil and gas and reinvigorate and resell itself to its own constituents, the people who live in Alberta, but also for those outside the province and how people view that particular part of the world, not just in Canada, but abroad as well. And I think that's what one of their main goals are. Yeah, I found it really, quite frankly, I don't even think the word inspiring is overstated. Like it really was. It was so well-spoken. The kind of guy you'd wish you could just kind of run into him at the bar and have a beer and just get to pick his brain. Like he had that kind of energy to him. Lots of things. I mean, he spoke for an hour and seemed to just be not talking to notes, but just explaining what his philosophy was. One of the things that stood out to me was because of the investment in oil and gas historically in the Alberta economy, there's a ton of skilled workers with a ton of experience, very, very smart sophisticated workforce. And so it's not that difficult to just pivot that level of education towards other ways to invest, whether that be hydrogen, mineral and mining, he mentioned lithium, nickel, you know, investment in irrigation. Like there's lots of different ways to take the skill sets that already exist in the workforce and just find different ways to benefit from it. They talked about getting rid of red tape, allowing businesses to thrive without having to jump through hoops. They said a lot of really, I mean, again, Bringing it to fruition is always one of the hardest parts of a politician's job, but certainly was saying the right things to give Albertans some confidence that they have the right leadership and they're making the right decisions. And as well to highlight that, not to indulge in stereotype, but Alberta is known as more of a right-wing province, and this would probably be a very right-leaning solution. You know, They're talking about reducing red tape. They're talking about reducing the corporate tax rate from 12 down to 8, which is very significant. They want to signal to businesses that they're looking for investment. They're trying to invest in their tech sector. These are all all very uh, <laughs> right-leaning solutions to a problem, and it would be fitting with the stereotype of Alberta. I would agree, Adam. It is more right-centered in terms of its approach. 
But if you're looking at it from a business view, it's all the right words. It's all the right things to say. But it seems to me that they're doing the detail work, that they're rolling up their sleeves. I get the impression from him. Like when he makes a statement of, if you're trying to do business in the province and you need help from the government, call us. We'll help you close the business. Right? They're not saying that we're going to be the barrier and we want to know how the tax structures are going to be and how much money we're going to make. He's saying, we're on your side. We'll help you get engaged and we will help you close that business for the province and for your own organizations within the province, supporting Albertans and supporting Albertan companies. I think that's fantastic for any government to make that statement, for any minister to make that statement, which was, I almost felt like I could call him on his cell phone and saying, hey, I've got a deal. Can you help me sell? Can you help me close my deal? He would answer, sure, let's get on the phone together and let's see what we can do. And I think that's his personality. That's how he comes across. But if they're able to achieve that, I think that that will give that province and the companies in that province and the individuals that live there a great competitive advantage, not just in Calgary and Edmonton. They're great cities, but I think in all this, a lot of the secondary cities, smaller cities surrounding them will also benefit by this in a really big way. I still think, I got the impression though from him that they're still doing a deep dive. There's still work to be done. They need to create that right, that effective matrix of investment, the tools, reducing the red tape, speeding things up for businesses so they can be prosperous. And they're still working on it. That is still a work in process. It's not 100%, but they do have the vision. They do have the real roadmap. And they're still getting through all of those details and promoting the province and changing the way people look at it. I thought he was fantastic of all the speakers. He was entertaining and he knew his stuff. And I thought it was well worth listening to. And for anyone listening to this, go back and watch it again. There was a lot of detail he went through and I think it would be worth the hour watch. Yeah, and to your point about a work in progress, this was not a reaction to COVID. This pivot was well underway, more as a reaction to the shift in the economies of the oil and gas sector. They've been at it for a while. and They've been successful in the past and there's no reason that won't happen again. So that is our top five. Before we sign off, though, we always like to talk about our personal connection to the city. So, Peter, you mentioned a number of flights out there. Why were you going out there? What was your personal takeaway from the province of Alberta? Almost my whole career. We have a lot of clients. We do a lot of business in the province. And it's always been a great place to go visit, a great place to do business. I've seen a lot of change occur, especially, say, in Edmonton over the years where at one point in time, Edmonton went through a real difficult period in its downtown. And as you saw over the last number of years, that whole city reinvent itself and really start to come of age. And a lot of it had to do with what they were doing in the Rogers Center and building that community up. And it was more than just an arena. It was a place to go, a place to visit and a destination. And I think Calgary's on its way there too. So it's always been great. And then most of it's been on business, but I've also taken the time to travel for you know quick weekends away. Going up to Banff for a quick weekend away is not that difficult. Flying to Calgary and get a car and 45 minutes later, you're in uh, some of the most beautiful areas that this country has to offer. So it's a combination of those types of things that really can draw you to Alberta. Yeah, Peter, my connection to the city would be similar to yours. I've done some absolutely world-class skiing out there. Cannot say enough about the recreation. It's especially coming from Ontario. Ontario is a beautiful province, but it's not beautiful like uh, Alberta's beautiful. It's quite unbelievable in that regards. The Calgary Stampede is on my one of the things on my bucket list. I've not managed to pull it off yet, but it is there. And then on the business front, I will admit I might have been one of the fair weather lenders that some of the, the 
I say made fun of, but it was more lighthearted than anything else. Pre-oil drop, I was out there quite a bit. Not so much in the absolute doldrums of the oil down cycle. And then it was funny. I remember speaking with somebody from the Canadian Real Estate Forums about the number of out-of-town lenders. I can't remember exactly what year this would have been. Maybe 2016, 17 in there, where as a signal of improving strength in the Alberta market, they had a bunch of out-of-town lenders all flying from Toronto into Alberta for the conference they had there as a sign that it was recovering. And I would have been one of those lenders on the plane that, you know, now that the sun was poking out of the clouds finally in Alberta, I was ready to jump back in. But yeah, maybe I'll take this chance to apologize for being fair weather to Alberta. Aaron, what's your connection to the city? I lived in Edmonton for a number of years. All three of us when we were talking about Vancouver, we gushed over how amazing Vancouver was. We were talking about Montreal. We gushed over how much we love Montreal. And I feel like, you know, we're not just saying this because I have the same sentiment to you guys. That drive from Calgary to Banff is one of my favorite things to do. It's just spectacular. If you're doing it, do it in the morning as the sun's rising behind you, hitting the, the mountains in front of you. It's just spectacular. And had lots of enjoyable trips and personal time in both downtown cores, in the regions, friends that live out there. I guess in summary, maybe we should just phrase it as, you know, we're very fortunate to live in such a great country with such amazing cities and places to visit. Thanks, Peter, for taking the time to do this. Obviously want to thank First National Power in the podcast. Thank to the Real Estate Forum for setting this up. And of course, thanks to Yardy for sponsoring the podcast. We'll do it again soon. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Quick reminder to register for the 2020 Real Estate Forum, which takes place on the 2nd and 3rd of December by going to realestateforums.com. Real Estate Forum Club members, remember to enter your membership number to receive your 20% discount. Adam and I are really looking forward to connecting with you and many others this year at the Forum. Thank you for listening to the CRE Podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.